Happy anniversary, New Life Church. 19 years right now. I remember that first service. I did not know we would have 18 campuses now. But I tell you what I also remember is the people who were there for us in the beginning. Sometimes when you wanna do something big, uh, people will look at you and they'll say something like, be careful now here. But there are other people that go with you. Greg Surratt, when he found out we were gonna plant a church in Arkansas, although he did initially try to talk me out of it, he at that point, when he heard that I was going because God called me here, he said, we are gonna give you $12,500 a month for your first year, guaranteed. And this was so moving to me, I didn't know what to do. A few hours later, I found him again and I said, what does guarantee mean? I mean, I know what it means, but why did he say that? And he said, well, we're not gonna give you 12,500 a month, but you start your church without a lot of pressure. And then for everything you are short of that, the first year, we will cover the rest. So this is where the story gets interesting. The very first month, although we forgot to take up an offering a few of those times, we still took in $17,623. And with boxes at the door, it was just God. Well, I called Greg Surratt and I said, Greg, we don't need your money. We took in $17,623. And his next statement is where the ark started that is now planted right at 900 churches around America. His next statement was, okay, if you don't need it, do you know anyone else we can give it to? And that's when I said, who are you, Jesus? And he said, no. But he has remained as a friend and an overseer, an incredible communicator. And he's also the one that challenged me to take a little bit of time and rest my voice and to rest. Uh, and that's hard for me to do. But he's brilliant and he loves me. So I listened. So I want to ask all of you, every campus, all 18 of you, to give a warm hand to a friend of our church like no other, Greg Surratt. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's, uh, it's an honor and a privilege uh, to be here. I want to welcome campuses who may be watching or online uh, I love your pastor. Do you guys love your pastor? All right, hang on. That was like pretty weak. All right, I'm going to give you another shot at it. How many of you love your pastor? Do you love your pastor? Rick and Michelle are some of my favorite people. And uh, 19th anniversary. Wow. Who'd have thought it? This is incredible. Uh, Rick called, or actually Rick texted me about, um, uh, I guess a week ago Thursday, and said, uh, man, I'm having a hard time with my voice. I could tell he was discouraged. And he said, will you pray for me? So I called him right away. And I said, Rick, and, and I could just hear it in his voice that he could barely talk. And he told me about a little of the history of that and how it's been going on for a few weeks now. And... Uh, so I talked to Chris Hodges, who's one of your overseers, and, and uh, Larry Stockstill, who's Chris, or Rick's pastor, and 
I said, um, Rick, you, you got to take some time off, and let's make it extended. Uh, when's your last sabbatical? He said, well, I've never had one. I said, we're well, going to start your first one today, okay? And uh, so he's resting. He's resting his voice. I believe he's going to come back Easter stronger than ever. Uh, it, it's about to kill him because you guys know Rick. He loves to talk. I mean, he wants to hug you and talk. And I was at the airport with him yesterday, and... Uh, it, we'd been texting, and it's normal, and, but he can't talk at all. He's, he hasn't talked for three or four days, and uh, it's uh, a whole new Rick. And uh, so you be, you be praying for him. He's going to be fine, but he just needs some rest. He needs to get away, and I think this is uh, going to be a way that he can rest his body too, and uh, so it's, it's going to be a good thing uh, all in all. Um, so let me tell you, you, you want to know about who's speaking to you, so... so let me talk about myself, okay? Um, I'm president of the ARC, the church planning organization that we started together with Rick and four or five other uh, uh, pastors uh, about 20 years ago, and uh, also founding pastor at Seacoast Church in Charleston, South Carolina. Yeah, but the most important thing is I am married uh, to, I talked my girlfriend into marrying me about 43 years ago, 43, 44, something like that, somewhere in there. I remember the zeros and fives, okay, and she keeps track of the rest of them. And uh, Debbie is her name, and, and we have four children. They're all married. They all live in the Charleston area there. The best thing is we have 14 grandkids. Now, how many of you, how many of you are grandparents? Anybody grandparent here? How many of you would say, if I'd have known it was this good, I would have skipped parenting and gone right to grandparenting? Anybody? Yeah. Man, there's a hand went up like this. <laughs> yeah. And so I wanted to show you a picture of my grandkids. I think we've got it on the screen. Aww. <laughs> They're all about the same age. We do blonde. And uh, some of you have already noticed the one on the front row on the right. We're believing she's going to come to Jesus someday, and it's... <laughs> just going to make her attitude well. It hasn't happened yet, but we're, we're trusting God for it. This is about three years ago right here. See the little guy? See the little guy in the middle in the seersucker jacket? If you live, if you live in Charleston, you've got to have seersucker. That's just part of the uniform there. And uh, let me tell you a story about him. Go ahead and turn the pictures off. Nobody will listen to me. <laughs> so his mother, my daughter-in-law, believes in essential oils. Anybody here believe in essential oils? Oh, I'm telling you what. Apparently, they're amazing. Uh, you know, you can, you can diffuse this kind of oil, and it'll cure this, and this will make you calmer. And, and so she diffuses in that little guy, his name's Kingston, in his bedroom, an oil that will someday cause him to grow up and be president of the United States. <laughs> it's just... Essential oils are the next best thing to Jesus. They're just amazing. And uh, so, so one, night, one morning she comes into his bedroom, and it smells terrible in there. And she says, are you clean and dry? Sure, he's clean and dry. And she looks around, can't find the source of the smell, asks him if he knows. He, do, he doesn't know anything. So it goes on for about almost 24 hours until she finally figured out that her three-year-old Kingston had peed in the diffuser. And for 24 hours, 
They had been diffusing non-essential oils. Now, I had to do a little research because I didn't know a lot about it. So I researched what a diffuser was, and all I'm going to say is that you don't pee in a diffuser by accident. And I was proud of that boy. But can you imagine the surprise that she had when she figured it out? Have you ever been truly surprised by something? Maybe it was the time your kids cleaned their room without you asking for it. Or maybe it was when someone surprised you with a gift that you weren't expecting. Or maybe it's a surprise birthday that you really didn't expect. You know, most surprise birthday parties we kind of sniff out, right? Our friends are acting weird. They're lying to us. You can tell it's going on. Then you have to act like you didn't know it was happening so you don't blow it for whoever gave it to you. You understand what I'm saying. But remember that year when you had a surprise birthday party? You had no idea. Do you remember the moment? Now, there are people that study these things. It's called the surprise sequence. And I know it's true because it's on Wikipedia. And uh, they say there's three parts to a surprise Sequence. The first one is freeze, and it's 1 25th of a second. I don't know how they figured that out. But in the freeze, your brain is going, something's going on here. I better pay attention. And then the second part of the sequence is they call find. And in the find part, we try to figure out what's going on. Something's going on. I better figure out the source, what's happening here. And then the third part of a freeze sequence is what they call a shift. Sometimes a surprise forces you to change your perspective, and then you've got to change the way that you've been looking at things. For instance, maybe you and I have a difficult relationship. Maybe we don't have a relationship at all, and you surprise me with a gift or with an action. And, and, and I've got to reevaluate and maybe shift and change the way that I look at the relationship. Does that make sense? And so what I want to do today on your 18th anniversary, I just am so excited to be able to, to be here. We, we planted our first two ARC churches on this day. Actually, it's 19. You have 18 campuses. It's really confusing around here. <laughs> on, this, on this day, 19 years ago, we planted this church, New Life Church, and Church of the Highlands in Birmingham, Alabama. And they've been fighting ever since <laughs> over who's ARC church number one. Because they both started at the same time in the t- same time zone. I've heard them say, did you start on time? I started on time. So anyway, whatever, whatever. But uh, it's an honor for me to be here. And I want to talk to you for a few minutes about this church. But I want to take a story from the Old Testament about a surprise. And it's a story some of you are familiar with. It's a guy named Jacob. Jacob was born a twin. Do you have any twins in the room, Twins? We have one set of twins in that picture that you saw, and with twins that are born today, uh, you've always got an older one and a younger one, because they can't be born at the same time. And the older twin, oh, she likes to tell you she's older than her sister, even if it's just by three minutes, you know? And all it is is bragging rights today. But back when Jacob lived, it was important, because he was the younger of two twins, or a a a set of twins. And... The older brother in those days, he, he won the, the jackpot because they received what was called the birthright, which meant that uh, when dad died, that they got a lion's share, a large share of 
uh, all of the wealth that the father had. They became the leader of the family. There's just a lot of stuff involved with a birthright. And so Jacob, who was the younger brother, plotted with his mother. And you got to understand, this is the most dysfunctional family you can imagine. In fact, a few years ago, we were going to do a family series at Seacoast, and we were going to base it on a family in the Bible, and we couldn't find one that wasn't dysfunctional. I mean, they're all jacked up, which I like because there's hope for me, amen? <laughs> anyway, in this family, mama loved the younger son the better, the younger of the two twins, and daddy was partial to the older one, and mama plotted with the younger one to steal the birthright of his older brother. And his older brother gets mad. In fact, he's so mad that he says, when dad dies, I'm not going to do it before dad dies because dad was sickly at that time, but when dad dies, I'm killing my brother and I'm going to get my birthright back. And so Jacob has to leave his family home, go to a faraway country, and he goes, he finds himself in a lonely place. And, uh, and so he went to sleep in the desert in a Holiday Inn Express, <laughs> wrestling with a bad pillow. Somebody asked me this morning, they said, how'd you sleep last night? If you travel at all, you know that your sleep is impacted by what? Your pillow. If you have a good pillow, you sleep well. If you have a bad pillow, you don't. Well, Jacob wrestled all night with a pillow because his pillow was a rock. And he wrestled all night with that, finally got to sleep, has this crazy dream about a stairway to heaven, which, by the way, later becomes the greatest rock and roll song ever. Okay? And he wakes up in the house of the Lord, surprised by God's presence. Take a look at Genesis 28, verse 16. It says, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. And he was afraid. And he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So what can we learn about ourselves? What can we learn about this church from this story? I want to give you about three things that I, I, I think I know about this church. The first one is this. God has done a great thing here. God has done and is doing and continues to do a great thing here. It's amazing what has happened uh, in 19 years. And you guys are in this church and you just think this is normal. This is not. In fact, I heard a story about a guy who uh, used to, uh, bring his, his son to church uh, every week so that his son would know that there was one hour more boring than school every week. <laughs> That's not this church. Lives have been changed. Thousands of you have come to Christ, had your marriages uh, just restored and renewed, uh, seen your kids uh, come to Jesus, uh, were baptized in this place, this is an amazing, amazing thing that's going on. And here's the next thing I'd like to tell you is that it's easy to miss the extraordinary. See, Jacob almost missed the presence of God. He said, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. Which leads me to the question, how can you not be aware of the presence of God? How can you not be? Well, there's probably several answers to that. You know, sometimes we, we're not aware of God's presence because we get preoccupied. Have you ever had that happen? 
you're preoccupied with something else, maybe it's an issue at home or an issue at work, and, and you're, you're in the gathering of the church, either here or in a small group or whatever, and God begins to move, and you, you kind of miss it, or maybe you're on your, anybody on your iPhone looking at Facebook right now? You know, <laughs> just a little guilt right there, but anyway, we, we can miss the presence of God by getting preoccupied. Sometimes we miss God's presence because we just get too close to it. I remember uh, one time a, a few years ago, we had a guest speaker. And uh, pastors act weird when they have guest speakers. If Rick was here, he's probably watching right now online. Uh, they, they just get all uptight when there's a guest speaker. I, I, I remember, uh, I think it was Chris Hodges who was speaking for us that night. And I think it was the first Wednesday, but uh, the pastor is afraid that the guest speaker is going to say something weird, or, and Rick's worried about that right now, or, or more importantly, he's afraid something's going to happen in the service that's just not going to make it be what it should be. You know, that song's not going to be good or somebody's going to do something weird or whatever. They're just, they're just more uptight. I'm, just, I'm letting you into the head of a pastor right now. They're just more uptight when you've got a guest speaker sitting next to you. So, so, so it's a worship night, and Chris Hodges is sitting here, and and the sound is terrible. We were on the front row about here. Sound is terrible. We're worshiping Jesus, and I'm thinking, this sound is awful. Somebody needs to fix this. Jesus, I love you. You're the way maker. Somebody needs to make a way right now on this music. It's terrible. And uh, so I turned to the guy next to me, who was one of our pastors. I said, Sean, go back and tell them they need to, they need to fix the music and get it right, or I'm going to fire them. And I never fire anybody, but that's what I did in the heat of the moment. Just said, I'm going to fire him. So he goes back, and he doesn't come back to the seat, and nothing changes. So now I'm going, I love you, Lord. And God, I'm firing both of them as soon as this service is over. <laughs> it's the wrong week to pull this stuff, all this kind of thing. And so when the service was over, I went back and I said, what was wrong with you guys? Why didn't you change it? And they said, Pastor. Pastor, the sound was great for the people. But at that point in the auditorium we had, the speakers were right above where I sat. They said, you were too close, to the, too close to the front in order to get the full experience of what was going on. And it was an aha moment for me. Because you know what? That can happen when you serve in a church. So many of you serve, and some of you uh, began to serve, and then you came on staff. I remember the first time I came on staff at a church, and I I've been serving, 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 and I thought, oh, this is going to be wonderful. They're going to pay me to do this, and we're going to sit around and have Bible studies all day long, and we're just going to pray, and people are wonderful, and you know, and I found out that's not what it's like. In fact, I got into ministry partially because I thought, about sheep. The Bible talks about sheep, and sheep are so fluffy, and they're nice, and be wonderful to be around sheep. I got in full-time ministry and vocational ministry and figured out that there are some sheep that bite, and, um, and there are some rabid sheep that have a taste for shepherd, you know, and I mean, it's just like, <laughs> or maybe you start serving, and and you, you realize people are pretty much the same. We're redeemed, but we're not perfect. We're in process. And you discover that. You get too close, and you miss the presence of God. Miss the presence of God. Sometimes we just get too complacent. 
We put in our time. We come to church. This is awesome. We're going to have some great songs, and there's going to be a good message. And I want to tell you something. God is in the house. And when God is in the house, anything can happen. And that's, that's what you ought to come into a gathering feeling like God's in the house. He's going to have a word for me, whether it's through the, the music, through the prayer, through the speaking. It could change my life. It could change my circumstances. It could change my situation. And so we can miss God's presence. But as an outsider, I, want to, I, I can assure you that God is doing a great thing here. And we need to celebrate that. Would you say amen? Here's the second thing I know, is that every great thing costs someone something. Every great thing costs someone something. You are standing on the shoulders of some people that sacrificed for you to get where you are. Uh, I remember when we first started Seacoast Church, uh, there were a couple of ladies in our church that, that asked if they could have an appointment with me. So they came in and we did some small talk and and uh, then I said, well, why are you here? They said, we wanted to tell you that a group of ladies have been praying for years in this community for a life-giving church. You know, in the ark, we like to say that every community needs a new life church. Every community needs a life-giving church. In fact, they don't just need one. They need lots of them. They need lots of them because there are all kinds of different people. Would you agree with that? And this community has that. But uh, they were praying for a life-giving church in their community. And they said, we just wanted to ask you a few questions and find out if you're the answer to our prayers. Now, that was pretty intimidating. Would you agree with that? Those ladies stayed in the church and, and, uh, until, until uh, one of them passed away and another one moved to Atlanta. But you know, the, the, the thought was that they had, they had invested years in prayer. Uh, and honestly... When we came to Charleston and there was favor there, it, it wasn't about me. It was about the investment in prayer that them and others had made. Um, so, some of you have the same story. You've been laboring for years in prayer for this community. When the pastor says to the congregation, we need you to pray about this, you really do. You know, A lot of us have good intentions, but you have a passion. You have a gifting to pray, and a lot of what has happened here is because you have been faithful in your prayer. Some of you have been awakened at night to pray. You've paid a price in prayer for this great thing that God is doing here. Some of you have invested your time, your time. Um, Brian Lewis, I, I walked into his office not long ago. He's one of our pastors, our men's pastor. And I said, Brian, I haven't heard your story. How did you start? Well, I know you were in the business community. You were doing very, very well. I know that. How did you, how did you come to work at Seacoast? How did you get a job here? He said, it's interesting. He said, one of my friends saw an ad for a ministry position here. And he said, Brian, you would be perfect for that. You should apply. And he said, I, I, I had to ask my wife because it was a you know, major deal. And his wife said, you're already at the church all the time. They might as well be paying you for it. <laughs> Some of you are like that, and you can relate to it. Some of you got up early this morning. 
You know, people sleep in on Sunday morning. You got up early so you could be here, make sure there was coffee and make sure the environment was good, make sure you could greet people in the parking lot or maybe at the door. Some of you serve in the nursery and you change the diapers of somebody else's child so they can worship God and experience God's presence. Some of you open your homes uh, so that people can experience community outside of this place. And most of you will never be paid for it. You just serve. You know, I have to explain it like this in South Carolina. We have to put everything on the, on the uh, lower shelves so that we can understand it. And I say it like this, that if you are a Christ follower, every Christ follower is in full-time ministry. Do you, do you get that? Would you agree with that? Every Christ follower is in full-time ministry. Uh, some Christ followers are in full-time vocational ministry, which simply means that people like Pastor Rick and myself are paid to be good. You guys are good for nothing. Okay, that's all, that's all that means. <laughs> you know, uh, somebody said one time that the church oftentimes, too oftentimes, is like a football game. Today we're going to watch a football game, I guess, a little bit later. And there are going to be 22 men on that field in desperate need of rest being cheered on by 80,000 people in desperate need of exercise. And that should not be. That should not be the church. Everybody serves. Everybody serves. So I want to challenge you. Learn to serve in the church, in the community, and in the world. But some of you have paid a price and sacrificed so that others can enjoy what we enjoy. Some have invested their money. Uh, not long ago, there was a lottery winner in South Carolina, I don't know if you uh, remember reading about this, that won almost a billion, one billion dollars. And this person, I think you have maybe a year to kind of check in and identify yourself because there are a lot of, when you win that kind of money, as soon as everybody knows, it's like crazy. Everybody's your best friend, your mama, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so this person delayed almost the entire year, finally at the last moment showed up and still was anonymous, which I think is okay. But I want to tell you something. For that year, we were praying that that was a seacoaster. <laughs> Not just a seacoaster, but a tithing seacoaster. <laughs> we could do great things for the kingdom of God with a billion dollars, right? That person made a very small investment. And he had a large return. Now, usually doesn't end well for lottery winners if you've read a lot of stories. But you know what? I don't always do well with my investments. In fact, Debbie asked me not long ago, she said, how are we doing financially? And I said, if it wasn't for our investments, we'd be doing great. <laughs> because I have this gift of buying high and selling low. Does anybody else have that gift? In every area of my life except one. My investments in the kingdom of God are doing amazing things. Just absolutely amazing things. In fact, the other day I was driving by a new building that we just built for one of our campuses, and, and um, it's just an amazing building, and a lot of people sacrificed. Debbie and I sacrificed. I love doing that, because I just love see, seeing the, the outcome of, of what's going to happen. And, uh, and the, the, the pitch for this building was, was this, really, that it, it's for next generation, and a lot of us who have resources will really not have much use for it. We're, we're going we're gonna to put our resources into something that we're not going to use a lot because we're not going to be around 
for the major time of the use of this. It's for the next generations. And I was driving by and thinking about that, and I was thinking, that's the best kind of giving. That's legacy giving. That's giving to something that will outlast you. And there are many people who have done that here uh, in, in this building. You understand Matthew 6 and verse 19 that says, Do not store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven. I think I, I read it wrong, treasures on earth. Treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Because hearts follow treasures. Wherever you invest yourself, wherever you invest your resources, that's where your heart's going to be. That's where your heart's going to be. Uh, I remember several years ago, um, it was uh, about 20, 21 years ago, I was having breakfast with uh, my wife and a man named Billy Hornsby and uh, Billy's wife Charlene and Billy was a great, great friend of Pastor Rick and his father-in-law, Pastor Chris Hodges. And we were dreaming together. And we were dreaming about a day when maybe we would form an organization that would, that would help, help young couples see their dreams come through and true in, in planting churches and just a vision to plant churches uh, uh, all over this country. And, uh, and Billy was living in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, his family owned a lot of acreage there. He had just built uh, his dream house. I'd been down to see it on a family acreage in a beautiful part uh, just outside of, of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And Billy says to me, Charlene and I want to move to Charleston because we want to help make this dream come true. And I said to Billy, we can't offer you much salary. We don't really have that. He said, I don't care. I said, Billy, how could you leave? You just finished building the, the home of your dreams, and now you're going to sell it. How can you do that? Billy teared up, and he said this to me, and I'll never forget this. He said, Charlene and I have decided that we're going to live the rest of our life for treasures in heaven. You know, there's a lot of things you can live your life for, but if you'll live your life for treasures in heaven, your investments will always, always return well. You know, Jacob got it. Jacob, after uh, this encounter with God in Genesis 28, 20, he says he made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking I, and give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone, what stone is he talking about? It's not about the, the hard pillow that he, that he went to sleep on. He said, this stone will be a pillar. So he lifted it up and stood it upright. And if you've ever been to Israel, you know that those are called standing stones. And in a lot of the excavations where you find a standing stone, that means that's a place of worship, a place of worship. He said, I'm gonna make this place a place of worship and it's gonna be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. He got it, he got it. Live for treasures in heaven. So God's doing a great thing here. Every great thing costs somebody something. And here's the best part. The third thing I know about this church is that the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. You've had uh, 19 years. And some great things have happened. 
But I believe that the best is yet to come for this church. And for you individually, I can confidently say that the best is yet to come. You know, I've had some great days in my life. The day I was born, I think, was a good day. <laughs> Don't remember much of it. Born in the panhandle of Oklahoma. My dad was a revival preacher and dropped my mom off in her hometown for two weeks to have me, and then we hit the road. By, I was born on Monday. By Friday, I was in church. <laughs> great day. The day I committed my life to Christ was a great day. The day I got married was a great day. The day my first child was born, I, I, I was just totally amazed. And then each child after that were great days. But you know what? Those, none of them was my best day. In fact, the Bible says my best day is ahead of me. In uh, 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 9, it says, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love God him. See, I've got a, I've got a uh, whiteboard in my office that nobody else can see. And on that whiteboard, I have written, have you thought about heaven today? Because I think about everything else but heaven. And the truth is, the truth is that when, when you, the best day will be when you step into eternity. People will mourn at your funeral, but if only they really knew. And then the best day after that is going to be the day you stand before God and receive your reward for having prayed, for having served, and for having given to his cause. And then the best day after that will be every day forever. That's your destiny if you're in Christ. See, you may have a broken body. You may have a broken heart. You may have a broken relationship or a broken dream. Here's what I know. The best is yet to come. There's more for you, and not just in eternity. Would you do me a quick favor? Would you take your pulse? Everybody in here, this is all participation. Take your pulse. Will you take it real quick? Here's what I know. If you've got a pulse, God's got a plan. There's a reason you're not dead yet. <laughs> God has a plan for you, and God has great days for you. Sometimes, this is what I've discovered in life, when it looks like things are falling apart, they're actually just falling together. Have you ever had that? Maybe you're there right now. Looks like things are falling apart relationally for you, or maybe financially for you, or maybe it's something in your family. It looks like it's falling apart, and actually, it's just falling together. Because God is able to take all things and turn them out for our good and his glory. So God has great things for you. The best days of this church are ahead of us and not behind us. Let me just give you one more thought. Jacob recognized God's presence after a tough night's sleep on a hard pillow. And then the next verse says this. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone, the pillow, and he placed it under his head that he had placed under his head, and he set it up as a pillar, as I said earlier, as a standing stone. And then watch what he does. He pours oil over it. Oil represents the Holy Spirit. Poured oil on top of it, and he called that place, he renamed it, he called it Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Now, now I want you to watch this. That stone represented a hard place in his life. It wasn't just a bad pillow. It was a hard place of his own doing in his life. But God met him 
in that hard place. And then Jacob turned that hard place into a monument of God's grace and his presence. And some of us here today, in a crowd, crowd this, this large, there, there are some of us that you're in a really hard place. You might be in a hard place relationally and you just, it just came on you maybe this week or just this month. You're in a hard place. Some of us are in a hard place physically. My family knows what that's like. We've gone through a year of cancer with my youngest daughter. It may be a cancer word or it might be something else physically and you're just in a hard place right now. Or maybe it's a hard place financially or emotionally or or even spiritually, you, you, you feel kind of dry or maybe even you have doubts that are kind of scaring you. You may be suffering because of somebody else's choices. Sometimes somebody else does something, we kind of get sucked into it. Or you may be in a place like Jacob that is a result of your own decisions. It doesn't matter. But you're having a hard time believing that the best is yet to come. Jesus said, In Matthew chapter 18, he said, If two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. There's more than two or three gathered here and in the campuses. We're gathered in Jesus' name. His presence is here. You're at Bethel today, which means the house of God. God's spirit is in this place. And what God wants to do, watch this, is take the oil of the Holy Spirit and to pour it over your difficult relationship, your difficult physical place, your difficult emotional place. Whatever it happens to be, he wants to pour the oil of the Holy Spirit. He wants to meet you right there. And then God wants you to rename that hard place. Don't rehearse it. Rename it. The memory that brings pain can become a place of blessing and destiny. The words that defined your past no longer are going to define you. You are one faith step from turning a hard place into a monument of God's grace. You are this close to being surprised by God's presence. Would you bow your heads for prayer? One of your pastors is going to come and lead you in a commitment prayer, but I just wanted to pray for you just for a minute and ask God to just open our hearts to what he wants to do. God, I thank you for this wonderful place, these wonderful people, this wonderful church that represents 19 years of your surprising, amazing grace. God, I pray that you would spark hope in many of us, all of us, God, wherever we are, that you would touch us in this moment by your Holy Spirit and that we would change before circumstances change. We ask that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. In Jesus' name we pray.